Hi, this is Damien O'Darty on the Center Maryland podcast. We are uh, really fortunate to have in this period of time uh, President Mohan Suntha and, and President Kevin Sowers, uh, President Suntha of Alms, the University of Maryland Medical Set, uh, System, President Sowers of the Johns Hopkins Health System. In, the, in my native lands, there could not be two more important people to be talking about at any time, but especially this time. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. President. Thank you, Damien. Listen, um, I just want to acknowledge something. You get to see a lot of public leaders in this role. And the only analogy I can conjure up is it's a it's a day long swim or endurance swim and everybody's holding their breath, trying to get as far underwater as possible with holding their breath. You give it all you've got and you pop up for a breath of air through this pandemic and you look ahead and you see. Uh, President Suntha, you see President Sowers again, just head forward in the water, uh, swimming ahead. And I, I saw you all in late May and and hope to see some glimmer of elation or pride. But really what I got back was, a you know, almost a stern look forward, a really sobering look for from you both at that time. And I think it's coming into to light why uh, you had that look. I mean, you were the first health systems uh, in the state to come out and mandate uh, COVID vaccination as a condition of employment. The Maryland Hospital Association, their 60 members followed suit quickly thereafter. And just this week, Governor Hogan making major announcements um, in the public health space, but namely uh, a similar requirement uh, for all hospitals and nursing homes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the evolution of this policy and where we are today from your very important viewpoint. Thanks for the filibuster. So, Damien, thank you for having us today. Uh, it's, it's an important topic to both of us. And I also want to acknowledge and thank uh, Mohan for his partnership with uh, Johns Hopkins and the University of Maryland uh, to serve our community during this difficult time. And we've done it together. And so I think that's another important part of, of what's come out of this pandemic is the, the partnership between the two academic medical centers in this great state. I would say that the framework that we actually use to try to really think through why uh, this was important was really around number one, patient safety. Um, in protecting our patients, and number two, uh, employee safety, uh, because during the surges that we've seen, we saw our employees not get uh, spread of the virus internal to our organization, but we did see it happen through a lot of community spread, uh, which led us to the third element of our, our construct was really around community safety. Um, and making sure that our employees were vaccinated because we needed a workforce to be able to care for the ongoing needs of the patients and the communities we serve. So for us, while yes, it is uh, currently under an EUA with the FDA, um, the vaccine is safe, it has shown efficacy, and we felt as healthcare leaders, both Mohan and I did, that we needed to lead with the science and really make sure that our employees uh, were vaccinated so we could serve all three realms, our patients and their families, uh, keeping each other healthy 
and then our communities healthy. Yes, yeah, so I think Kevin touched upon uh, the core principles that helped us collectively get to these decisions. And I think it's, when we think about it, it really foundationally goes back to the social compact that we in healthcare have with our communities and with each other. And when we think of those um, three uh, groups that Kevin described, our patients, our team members, our community, and you add then the perspective of science and data that has driven all of the decisions that we have made through this pandemic. This, this is a decision that we came to willingly recognizing that we have an obligation to always answer the question, are we doing everything within our powers to keep our patients and our workforce safe? And the vaccines represent the single most effective way to help keep our patients, our workforce, our communities safe as we continue to deal with the challenges associated with this pandemic. In healthcare, we have we hold ourselves to the highest standards with that foundational principle. What impact does the or what role does the FDA's timetable for, for approval? have ha, have or had on your decision making it, it it sounds like uh just the the bulwark of data and the bulwark of anecdotal experience that you all just uh presents a, a a reality that's much requires much more expediency and uh than than waiting for an fda approval any thoughts on that as, as people look at this issue Sure. So one point I think that uh, it's it's important uh, for folks who are listening to this conversation um, have an appreciation for us. I think in Maryland, we are blessed as citizens. When you think about the incredible human talent that exists within our within the healthcare industry in the state of Maryland, we literally have those international thought leaders across our organizations who have helped drive the science, the development, the data, the analysis that proves the safety and efficacy of these vaccines. That's right. So yeah, it's like you're literally saying like the, the people, the, the charts and graphs we're watching on no matter what station we're on or the experts we're hearing, you know, from NPR to the Wall Street Journal, they're coming out of the institutions that you all are leading. Absolutely. From the Centers for Vaccine Development uh, at the University of Maryland, to the incredible work that Hopkins has done. That Hopkins, it's an international resource. When we look at being able to track this virus worldwide, again, in Maryland, we're, we benefit from that kind of incredible human talent. And so remembering what an EUA is and understanding that, there, that, that all of the safety analysis, all of the efficacy analysis has been done. There's a process that goes from EUA to FDA approval, and Kevin can speak to that, I'm sure, but absolutely, we have great confidence in the decision around requiring vaccination for our workforce that's rooted in our understanding of the science. And I think, uh, Damien, to add on to what Mohan said, um, what I think people have to remember is the EUA um, not a lot of people have been through a pandemic before. And the EUA is there to serve in the capacity of, of a public health crisis like this. 
And there is safety and efficacy data that the pharmaceutical companies have to show. But if you step back even from when the EUA was approved and you now look at the millions and millions of doses that have been delivered around the world, if there was a true safety and efficacy issue that the FDA was seeing in the public that's received this, they would have stopped the vaccine immediately. So the EUA for me was the first step of getting more vaccine into arms because they had already demonstrated safety and efficacy. And now that they have a bigger data set, yes, they need to do, they do need to come back to the FDA for final approval, but that doesn't regulate whether or not a, a, an organization can mandate uh, a vaccine. The EEOC actually changed their language that allowed in the midst of a public health crisis for organizations like OMS and Hopkins and other organizations to allow us to mandate um, uh, vaccines for all the reasons we've spoken to um, thus far. I mean, region-wide, you have together 70,000 employees, people working um, all across uh, the region and the state. You, with the Delta variant rising, what, what kind of stories are you hearing from your people on the ground? I know that is always where your ear is. Uh, I'd just love to hear if you have had any particular insights from folks on your team on the front lines. I think right now what I would say is... Uh and I know Mohan and I've talked about this, I think we're both worried about the resilience of our workforce. I mean, people have been working really, really hard the last 18 months and, and trying to save lives. And at the same time, also the loss of lives. Um, and it goes against the way we've been trained as nurses and doctors and other healthcare providers that typically the patient and the family is at the center of everything we do. But in the midst of the COVID crisis, we've not been able to have families present at the bedside. And so um, it's created moral dilemmas for some of our providers. So I, I know that both of us are worried about the impact this has had on our provider base. I will tell you, um, we have a children's hospital down in Florida. So Damien, I have been uh, on constant contact with them. This surge is different. You know, yesterday at All Children's Hospital in Florida, we began the day with 21 children in our ICU. Um, not all of them were ventilated, but some of them were uh, being delivered high oxygen rates. Um, and, and you know, in the other surges, one of the things that was different is we didn't see children being impacted in the same way we're seeing with the Delta variant. So I think one of the things we need to prepare ourselves for is as schools open back up and the debate around masking and social distancing, um, it, it's created another level of anxiety around our employees um, because of the impact now we're seeing on children. Um, and so the concerns are not just professionally based, but personally based for some of our employees who have kids of their own at home and what that could mean in terms of their own children uh, that might not be eligible for vaccination yet. So uh, I, I think that's some of what I'm hearing from our workforce now is tired, uh, fatigued from what we've, they've gone through the last 18 months, and then just the worry about this new Delta variant. I will tell you the other thing that I've heard 
is some of the frustration and anger that comes from 99% of the people who are being hospitalized right now and requiring health care have not been vaccinated. And so the frustration that the people who are getting sick now had an option that would have protected them from getting really sick and being hospitalized. Um, Moan, you may be hearing other things. Yeah, no, I, I think for sure, Kevin, that's right. I would say, Damien, a word that comes to my mind uh, that I've heard since we moved forward with the requirement is actually gratitude. We have heard from our workforce that there is gratitude that we are doing, we're demonstrating that commitment to each other. Because ultimately, right, this is about the social contract we have with each other. When you talk about recognizing that we have an obligation to each other in the healthcare community uh, to be do everything we can to prevent the spread of this disease. Maybe an analogy that's not, um, hopefully you'll get the, the perspective I'm trying to deliver. You know that we have the world famous shock trauma center as part of the University of Maryland. It is an international model for trauma care. The folks at shock trauma take care of anybody who comes in need. When they take care, imagine a scenario where time and time again, they're taking care of car accidents victims, car accident victims who chose not to wear a seatbelt. Now they're gonna continue to take care of those folks. But after a while, there is an emotional toll that that takes knowing that there is something an individual could have done to help prevent the risk, right? Prevent the risk. And that's what Kevin spoke about. And I think that that's a very real emotional phenomenon that takes place within the healthcare workforce when a vast majority of the people being hospitalized and dying from this disease are the unvaccinated, which is why you hear more conversation that this has become a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But the Delta variant describes the very real biologic risk that exists now for all of us as a consequence of some parts of our communities and society choosing not to be vaccinated. Yeah, it's almost, uh, it, it just sounds like a compounding of trauma, you know, in your midst, whether it's what you're uh, frontline people are working with or your staffs. Uh, it's a tremendous burden. How are you, uh, how, how do you as public leaders continue to show that fortitude that is required to inspire all those people around you? I mean, like I said, you've been in the water, head down for so long. And you said your colleagues are in the same position. Obviously you would, you would point to them as being stronger than you, but it, it's gotta be a big toll. How do you, how are you managing that as a leader and as a community? We've provided a, a variety of Damon resources to our um, employees and our faculty and staff. Uh, clearly um, there are mental health issues that have come from this. Uh, we've provided individual support, team support. Um, we've provided uh, financial support uh, to folks who may be struggling uh, with things like rent. Uh, during the peak when kids were not in school for families of our employees who could not uh, afford computers um, uh, for their kids to learn at home, we provided computers and even wireless access. 
we set up food banks um, within our hospitals for some of our employees who were struggling, um, who had been dependent upon second incomes in their families. So I can, I can tell you, I can keep going, but it, it was not just one intervention that we put in place to try to support the workforce. And, and I know Mohan and his team did very similar interventions um, to try to make sure that um, we were trying to care for our workforce um, during the last 18 months. But I, I think the hardest part of this, um, and I've led through many crises in my career, is typically a crisis you see an end. Um, and that's how you get through it. Um, but uh, when you go through surge after surge, it really does begin to impact your resilience um, in a way that I don't think most people have experienced before. And especially because of the impact both personally and professionally on our, our workforce. Yeah, I think Kevin's right that uh, one unique piece of the challenge here is where we are right now in, in experiencing um, a resurgence of this virus, knowing that there is there are things we could be doing that, that could prevent it. When we first experienced COVID, now way back, um, we recognized that there were things we had to do, the social distancing, the masking, all of those, that's all, those are the tools we had in the toolbox. And we used them and we saw the impact it had on our economies, on our social lives, on our kids, and we tolerated it because we saw that we were going to get to a place where we could understand how to better care for those who were sick, that we, we were gonna develop vaccines. And now we're here, and I think this is in some ways emotionally more challenging for the healthcare workforce because they see in some ways this burden. We own a bit of this responsibility collectively for where we are. And that I think um, for the healthcare workforce is really challenging um, to deal with. In terms of how do we as leaders deal with this, I think we are blessed that we get to be inspired by incredible team members every day. These are the folks going into the, right? They're, they're going in when everybody else is trying to get away, they're going in and they do it every day. And so I think what Kevin described is absolutely, we are trying to do things to continually support and reinforce the uniqueness of the mission of healthcare. Well, it seems like the academic medical centers, you know, as much trauma is being foisted upon you, you know, you're constantly in a position to learn and innovate and share. And uh, you got to step back and marvel a little bit about that whole experience coming to life, because it seems like it, it almost proves as a test ground for the health facilities first and then whatever efficacy works there, then you can broaden out through the whole community. Um, it just seems like there's an extraordinary amount of collaboration and continuity that I think folks that have a view of the healthcare system, but not a day in the day out view, they, we tend to miss that. Our friends in, in Annapolis, you know, um, who have <laughs> their own responsibilities to attend to, you know, this is a chance for, for people there to see the broadness and the comprehensiveness of these very special institutions we have right in the center of Baltimore. Absolutely, Damien. What I would say is I, I do think this is a, um, a lesson that uh, will serve us well 
well past this pandemic. And that is one of the great assets of the state of Maryland are the healthcare resources that this state has. And as citizens in our community, the truth is we all maybe in some ways take that for granted because we've been blessed with it for so long, that we have high quality healthcare choice around the state of Maryland. That is not the case in every part of this country and certainly not the case in many parts of the world. And I think we are blessed with that. And my hope is uh, when you think about, you talked about the numbers of team members that our collective organizations have, and then look at the entire industry, uh, there's a reason it's a disproportionate piece of this region's economy and the, the, the region benefits from that. I would also say, Damien, in addition to what Moan just said, um, it reinforces the value and the importance uh, of the nation's academic medical centers. Um, because it's not just that we're providing excellence in clinical care. You know, at Hopkins, we now have close to 400 research uh, projects completely dedicated to COVID. Uh, we had to stand up a, a, a COVID internal review board uh, just for review of those studies. There were so many coming through. And so we're advancing the science that will improve the way we deliver care. And then as you look at both of our training program, um, not all people get to train in the midst of a pandemic. So um, not only have they learned to care for COVID, but they've also learned how you respond as, a, as an organization in the midst of COVID. And it's just not an internal reflection of people who are being hospitalized. Mohan and I have put resources into our communities to really make sure we reach vulnerable populations, school teachers, uh, nursing homes, a variety of strategies we've partnered on to uh, assure that um, our folks understand that it's not just about people who get hospitalized in the midst of a pandemic. It's about looking externally and and how you uh, better serve your community to get look. The a lot of people on this uh, in our audience, in, you know, that's a that's a state senator from East Baltimore or a, a staff of a county executive or or a business leader in Prince George's County, you know, they would expect me to say, Damien, these are the ultimate helpers. These, how do we help the helpers? Dumb it down for me. What can I do to help uh, Mohan and Kevin? What can I do to help Hopkins and Ums? What can I do to help MHA, you know, continue to be that bulwark for all of our communities? So I think, Damien, you know, Kevin described that we, we have responsibilities and embrace the roles we have as anchor institutions in our communities. To deliver on how we have presence outside the walls of our organizations in our communities, uh, we recognize that responsibility. And I think COVID has laid bare some of the, the issues that we've historically understood around healthcare equity or inequities that exist and social determinants of health. To tackle these types of societal challenges takes partnerships and collective investment. No single institution is solving those challenges by themselves. And so the what can folks who are listening do? Look for partnerships, be willing to come to the table to engage in conversations around how housing or education or nutrition impacts health of communities and why it's actually good business and good societal um, 
and benefit to society to make these kinds of generational investments. That I think is part of where we hope we can bring people together and agree that regardless of which side of an aisle you sit on, there is collective um, benefit to everybody for us to take on those conversations and partnerships. I think, Damon, uh, in addition uh, to what Mohan said, I would also reflect uh, that if there was a time that we look past the geopolitical stage uh, in coming together to make sure we do the right thing for our community, it's now. You know, I had the opportunity uh, when we were do, doing senior housing units in DC because we have a hospital in DC, also in here in the city of Baltimore, and even outreach we did to the Latinx uh, population over by Bayview. Um, and I was struck at the vulnerable populations that, that Mohan is speaking to and the mobility issues they have. Um, there are, there, they were people who had no way to get to a mass vaccination site, had no way um, to really access the vaccine. And it really made me stop to reflect to really think about how the social determinants of health um, and health inequity issues, because uh, I would agree it's not equity, it's really inequity issues, as Mohan stated, um, have to be addressed by all of us. We all have to own it. It can't be just one hospital or one academic medical center because the issues are much broader than that. Um, can we play a part in that? Yes, we can, and we have, um, and we'll continue to do so. But the issues are so broad that it's collectively going to take all of us coming together from a healthcare policy perspective, also from a perspective of delivery of services in our community. Um, and, and it will be that type of partnership that will improve the health outcomes for many generations to come. Well, when there is a place to celebrate all of your deeds, and I know you're still, your head's under the water, you're still swimming forward, uh, but when there is a time, um, I, I would love to come up with a place and uh, just celebrate the work of your community and your leadership. Uh, you know, maybe we have it out at Merriweather, someplace where we can really celebrate all the work that the, the frontline workers and, and you have uh, all done. It's something to behold. We know we got a lot long way to go yet and we know we can do some simple things to to keep this thing at bay gentlemen thanks so much on behalf of the university of maryland medical system the johns hopkins health system president mohan santa president kevin sowers thank you so much for joining us on center maryland thank you thank you gentlemen